How do you feel great on vacation? Like really good? Easy. You go to Aruba. You'll spend your time relaxing on cool white sand beaches and floating in healing blue water. You'll immerse yourself in natural wonder and find your center on an island where things move at your speed. You won't just feel great. You'll feel relaxed, renewed, and ready for life. That's the Aruba effect. Plan your trip at aruba.com. All right, are you ready? Welcome to the 1,000 Hours Outside podcast. My name is Ginny Urich. I'm the founder of 1,000 Hours Outside. And third time's the charm, Katie Bowman is back. Thanks for having me again and again. We have so much to talk about, I guess. There's so much. I know I never get through all of the things in these conversations, which is good because people can go to your books, of which you have 10, I think, which is incredible. Something, so many books. But Katie, you were my second podcast guest. I don't know if you knew that or not. Really? Yes. So people are wanting to look back. It's episode number nine. And that was the one where you talked about the book Grow Wild, which is such a fantastic book for parents about, you know, kind of getting rid of some of your furniture and the clothing and the, you know, the different containers. It's a fantastic book. And yeah, the second one, I had no idea what I was doing, but I had a friend who was a huge fan of you. And she was so excited that you were on. I got all these cool points with this friend of mine. So I loved it. And then you're also on episode 107. So nine and 107, if people want to go back and they should go back. And 107, we talked about being sedentary and about walking. That was the one where you always have such life-changing things. We talked about games that you can play while you're walking. We talked about the difference between walking overground versus walking on a treadmill, which is very different. So fascinating conversations. And here we are for a third time. You just had a new book come out, Rethink Your Position. Tell us about it. This is the book that looks at maybe moving your body more, moving your body well, one part at a time. You know, like movement can be broken down into two uh, frameworks. One is I am active or I am sedentary. Like it's a whole body assessment of yourself. I'm either sitting down and not doing anything in air quotes, not doing anything, or I'm walking. I'm getting from point A to point B. I'm exercising. Like my whole body is moving. But there's another way of looking at movement. I'm a biomechanist, so it's the way that I also tend to look at movement. And that is you're never really still. Your bodies are just in a particular position and you're adapting to that position. So you could look at it. It sort of seems philosophical and maybe it is, but it's it's an idea of looking at your moving parts as much smaller, your cells. So even when you're sitting in place for a long period of time, those parts are being squished. They're in a particular shape. They're responding to that and they're adapting to that. So if you think of yourself as always moving, but you have high volumes of moving in the same way again and again and again, a lot of us have repetitive use injuries that are coming from sitting. Mm. We just don't talk. We, we sort of um, segregate our language a little bit of when we're talking about whole body and when we're talking about part by part. I'm trying to unify it. Um, and then also, I think it gives a lot of people um, an easier entry point to movement when you think about, I, maybe I'm not ready to move my whole body, or maybe you move your whole body plenty, but you still have these aches and pains in your body, or you want to move your whole body more, but there's these aches and pains that are stopping you. How to approach your body and this sort of movement diet part by part. Hmm. And it's really interesting. Your books always have things that I've never heard of before. Never. And I love that. I love that I know if I'm going to 
crack open the Katie Bowman book, of which there are a lot. So many. There are going to be things that I've just, I mean, never heard of. And I love the illustrations in this one. You know, they're the pictures, and then sometimes you're drawing. I mean, this is, it's fantastic to illustrate all the different things. Let's start with this. If you're talking about specific body parts, because I know that the chapters are broken up that way. So you're talking about your rib cage, you're talking about your head and your neck, you're talking about your legs. So one of the things I'd never heard of before are calf hearts. Calf hearts. <laughs> Yes. What in the world? Do most people know about calf hearts? No, no. Well, I'm na- I'm naming like I'm trying to I I try I use a lot of language to help capitalize on something most people are already familiar with, but put it in a context in which they're not used to thinking about something to help them understand the point that I'm trying to illustrate. So, for example, calf hearts. When we think about what our heart is doing, right? It says the heart is circulating the blood, and that's why I need to take care of my heart, you know. Yes. And also your heart is not really meant to be going in alone, circulating Mm. your blood. What really ultimately circulates your blood is skeletal muscle contraction. Those are are working in partnership or are supposed to be working in partnership. So when it's easy for the blood to get down, harder for the blood to get up. So gravity, so you can think of your heart and gravity and muscular contraction is really the complete collection of parts that's circulating the blood in your body and not just circulating it, distributing it, getting oxygen Mm -hmm. to the end destination, cleaning out things along the way, right? So like you want this flow to be happening. When the blood gets down low, now it has to, like in your feet, for example, down your lower leg, it has to get back up. How does it do that? Well, you've got these valves in your veins. You might've heard about those. And blood because blood's always wanting to be pulled back down, <clears throat> it sort of stair steps up these venous oh. flaps. You know, the it goes up a little bit and the flap shuts behind it to keep it from back flowing. I didn't know this at all. Well, so varicose veins, when people are asked, like, what happens with varicose veins? Are these flaps are get broken? Oh, wow. And so then the blood can pull down and then the vein bulges because it's not being stair stepped up. But the flaps are not meant to be the mechanical lift. So you've got this heart, which is weaker over distance, right? Because the blood, Mm -hmm. the blood's farther away. And you got these flaps, which are meant to sort of hold the blood for a a moment before it gets back up. But the main mover here is the lower leg contracting. Just the same Mm. muscles that move you from point A to point B are also the muscle contracting that help support the blood back up. And so we live in these sedentary times. We're not walking anymore. We sit a lot. So not walking a lot is its own category. Sitting a lot and wearing positive heeled shoes where your heels are elevated above your toes are two habits that mechanically shorten and stiffen the calf. So now you're missing the blood circulating work, and that's why I call it the heart, that's in the lower leg. And so you're just like, all right, heart way over there, go it alone and, and valves in your lower leg. You do that too. And I'm just going to sit here and not take any steps and not do anything with my musculoskeletal system. And so like things like stretching and steps, we don't often know how they relate to our well-being. We know kind of nebulously they do. Like I know I should exercise or move around. I know I should stretch. These are so tight, but it's harder to tie it to exactly what's going on in your body. Hmm. These muscles need to be supple. They are the support system of not only the entire cardiovascular system, but also the veins, right? Like the veins and then also that strong calf muscle not only supports the heart and the veins, it also helps support your ankles and your knees and your hips. So it's just calling out like, hey, 
do this for your calves, which will also have a payback, you know, for your mm-hmm. heart too. Wow. And your whole circulatory system, I would imagine. Well, that's right. And the, re- and the, and what your heart does in your mind, what you imagine your heart, heart's job, it's like, that's a whole body job and you've got slacking parts right now. And mm. so your heart would like you to help it out by stretching your calves and then walking more with those longer, uh, more supple calves that do a fuller contraction and then help support the lower legs. So if people are thinking about veins, like veins is a way that a lot of people have aches in their legs because of their veins. The veins are a sign that that musculoskeletal system is not supporting the cardiovascular system well in those areas. So fascinating. Half heart. Katie, I don't know how you do it. Half heart. You talk about in this one that if you were to narrow down, you have your like top two exercises. If you were to narrow down, because people ask you that all the time, what if I only have this amount of time? Narrow it down. I only have one minute. <laughs> one minute. <laughs> what should I do? <laughs> I See, I, I went wrong. I should have been a thousand exercises. I should have started with a thousand exercises and, and outside. One thousand exercises outside. Exactly. I'm sure that could be the title of your next book. So it has to do with the calf. So one of the more important ones is that, correct? Right. Is that because of this? Yes. Well, it's because of that. It's also like very efficient. So it's because it that one move supports your heart. It pays off with every step, right? So it's not just something that feels good or is beneficial while you're doing it. It changes the way the muscle works when you're stepping. And then again, tight calves end up affecting ankles, knees, hips, lower back. So it's like one thing. Just one thing that mm. has a pretty big payoff as opposed to picking something else, which might not be so impactful on so many different levels. Yeah. It's interesting. It's not, it's certainly not what I would have thought in the calf stretch. So really interesting to learn about the calf hearts and your circulatory system. So that's in the chapter on hips, legs, and knees, which is actually probably a really important one. I think people have knee problems and their hips hurt. So one of the things that you talk about is walking downhill which depending on terrain, sometimes I prefer downhill, but a lot of times I prefer uphill because you don't, you feel more stable. How can we walk if people are out hiking when there's a lot Mm -hmm. of up and downhill, how can we support our knees through that? Well, I just love what you're like the insights that you have there going outside into nature, especially, you know, if you're talking to people more about going inside that terrain becomes like complex. It's just different than inside terrain. It's different Mm -hmm. than indoor exercise terrain, which is very controlled. So going downhill and also, yeah, a lot of people prefer to go uphill, even though it's more effort, right? It's harder for your heart and lungs, but you are more stable because you're sort of like Mm -hmm. digging in and climbing up. When you go down, things tend to accelerate. They go down without any effort, right? If you put a ball on the top of a hill, it's going to roll down. If you put it at the bottom, it's not going to roll up. So there's effort that needs to go up. There's control that needs to happen mm. when you come down. So you're already moving down. You're being pulled down. That's why it's easier for the heart and lungs. You're not having to lift anything. But the primary way most people will control their downhill descent is by clenching the muscles on the front of the thigh. So contracting mm. the quadriceps. But embedded in, the, in those quadriceps is your kneecap. And so when you grip with the muscles on the front of the thigh, Think going down something really steep and sort of taking smaller steps, you know, you're clenched. Those kneecaps get pulled deep is the word that we use, meaning in towards, Mm. let's say, the center of the knee joint. So that patella gets pulled in deeply. A lot of people's patellas or kneecaps are not sitting where they should be. 
They're not sitting in the groove of the thigh that has the space for them. Because again, of all the things that we do, a lot of people will have kneecaps that are pulled laterally, pulled to the outsides of the knee joints. So when they get pulled deep, they're not Mm -hmm. being pulled deep into the part of the knee joint that has space for them. They're being pulled deep into places where they're coming into contact more with the bones underneath. And that's the pain that you feel in the knees. And then that creates like inflammation and then things are swollen, which means a little bit of contraction creates more pressure and a big feeling in the leg. So the first way you can hike better is to not only use the muscles on the front of the thigh to hold you. You also have muscles on the side of the thigh that Mm. hold you. And we're not really taught how to use our hips well. So we use our knees primarily. I'm going to give the job of stopping me from tumbling downhill to my knees and my hips. And the Mm -hmm. hips actually are bigger and more able to carry it. So you've got this part, this lever system that could be doing a lot more work. And so you can go downhill and almost not use your knees at all once you know how to do it. And it comes in really handy if you ever have an injury in the backcountry, but also it just allows you to not hurt yourself every time you go outside or, you know, to the point where Mm -hmm. you're legs are throbbing. You can use it on the stairs too. So the pelvic list, that's my number two exercise. So Mm -hmm. the number one exercise was a calf stretch and other, that number two exercises, I've got this exercise called the pelvic list. You can find it on my website, the video of how to do it, as well as in the book book, where it's more connected to hiking and walking. And when you do it, you're like, oh, I didn't even know that muscle was there. And then it's like, okay, now when you're walking, this exercise that you've practiced is actually, it is a phase in gait that we want to see Mm. there, but you've practiced it as an exercise, you're stronger, it comes more naturally, and you can relax the fronts of your knees as you go downhill. Okay. For our hiking families, this is incredibly important. Yes. You're hiking out with your kids. You want to have longevity. I think I want to hike with my grandkids. So all of this is really important. This is in the hips, legs, and knees chapter. There's so much in there because in that chapter, there's also talk about barefoot. And I would imagine that's helping your calves as well in terms of... Mm -hmm this footwear and you talk about that a lot and grow wild as well. And then you talk about what my favorite picture is in this book. I love the pictures in here, by the way, <laughs> I love the things that you wrote. I love the pictures. I love the drawings. This actually is my favorite one. I don't know if you can see it. <laughs> it's about when you bend forward and it's about the pelvis. And I just I love, that was my favorite one in the whole book. It, they're very simple for people yes, listening. Yes. It's like, these are not stellar illustrations. They're the opposite. They are, they're purposefully drawn to be like simple boxes and lines so that you can just see like, oh, right. I can, I get it. You can get it. Right. Mm-hmm. You can get it. So do not, it is not an art book. It is not an anatomy <laughs> text. It is trying to convey like mechanical arguments and simple drawings, which I have a whole like section in the introduction. Like this Mm -hmm. is why I do it like this. Yeah. I love it. So yeah, my favorite one was in that chapter, but that chapter also talks about your favorite. Well, it's not your favorite. You say the best piece of exercise equipment that we're not using. What's the best piece of exercise equipment that we're not using? Oh, that's almost a toss up. It's like a floor and a wall. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, this chapter has the floor in there. It's sort of the same thing, you know, like yeah. the floor and a wall are excellent personal trainers, but the floor is right there. Those are two simple things that I imagine every single person listening has. And if you could learn how to use it, mm-hmm. 
Yeah, getting up and down off the floor. Yep. So actually, I said this wrong. There's hips, legs, and knees. That's one chapter. And then another chapter, it's because my page, it's like at the bottom of the page and turning, is ankles and feet. So that one had the calf parts and, well, I, okay, I'd never heard of this either, that there's a balancing pedal in the car. Yes. Which there totally is. I Do people- Did you go out and look? Did you yes, go out and find it in your I car? I sure did. Just, no, I've never heard of it, never noticed it. I know. This is like, so for me, the aha moment I had like uh, relating to the car was that the gas tank is indicated by the triangle on the side of the picture. When I found that out, I was like, I can't believe I've lived my whole sort of adult life without realizing that I don't have to get out when I'm driving a car. I don't know to like figure out where the gas tank is. It's indicated on the inside of the car. Did you not know I that? Had, no, I had no idea. No. Nope. Okay. I learned all these things from you, Katie. So when you look at the gas picture of the gas, there is a triangle on either side of it, which tells you which side the gas tank is on. Unbelievable. Next book, written, published, <laughs> done, moving on. So this other piece is, you know, imagine yourself driving for a second. You're sitting in, in the car. You've got your right foot. I was just thinking, okay, everyone's going to be in different places. So you've got the foot outstretched that's on the gas pedal. For us here in North America, it's on the right. Mm-hmm. And then you're, you, what you tend to do is sort of tuck your left knee in. So you've got one leg straight and one leg bent. And a lot of times you're not even sitting even between the right and left cheeks. You're sort of twisted to help push that right foot forward. So your pelvis is twisted to the left, unless you're in the UK and it's twisted to the right, you know, or, you know, you get what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. In cars, there is a place to rest the non-gas pedal foot that helps hold the hips still and keeps the legs used a little bit more evenly. And it's unbelievable sitting down there. It's just this little thing there. And that's, it's there for ergonomics, but they don't cover it in driver's training. So we'll have to cover it now. <laughs> this episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. Question, what's the first thing you do if you had an extra hour in your day? Read a few chapters of that book, start painting that guest bedroom, tackle that pile of laundry, play a card game with your kids. A lot of us spending our lives wishing we had more time. The question is, time for what? If time was unlimited, how would you use it? The best way to squeeze that special thing into your schedule is to know what's important to you and make it a priority. If you're feeling stuck, therapy is something that can help you find what matters to you so you can do more of it. Therapy is a wonderful thing. It can help you learn positive coping skills or show you how to navigate properly setting boundaries. With BetterHelp, it's easy to get started. You just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try and visit betterhelp.com 1000 hours to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com 1000 hours. Eating better is easy with Factors' delicious, ready-to-eat meals. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian-approved, and ready to go in just two minutes. You'll have over 35 different options to choose from every week, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Also, there are more than 60 add-ons to help you stay fueled up and feeling good all day long. So get started today and get after your goals. Some of the things we love about Factor are their two-minute meals. You can fuel up fast with Factor's restaurant-quality meals that are ready to heat and eat whenever you are. 
Our kids love the pancakes, smoothies, and more. And there's a wide variety of easy options for the entire day, including midday bites. Factor is the perfect solution if you're looking for fast, premium options with no cooking required. Plus, you can pause or reschedule your deliveries anytime. And remember, to sign up and save, we've done the math. Factor is less expensive than takeout, and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. Head to factormeals.com slash outside50 and use code outside50 to get 50% off. That's code outside50 at factormeals.com slash outside50 to get 50% off. Well, it's like, you know, was there a biomechanist on the team? I mean, it's just so interesting to me that it's there. Well, for sure. I mean, there's a, people think about ergonomics and body use and the shape of your car is meant to do particular things. Um, it just maybe not great at communicating what all those things are. So just letting mm-hmm. people know that those are there. <laughs> just every single book I read, I just, my mouth drops. I'm like, wait a minute, this is fantastic. Let's talk about the chapter about the mind and the brain because a lot of times when we think about movement, we forget that piece of it. And so you're talking about brain mass, you're talking about muscle mass as it relates to brain mass, chewing our food. What are we missing here? Well, I mean, I so I've written a lot of books where I've organized the body by parts and I always, you know, I too don't put the mind or even the brain in there. And I was like, okay, enough of that. I'm going to give that its own chapter because it, it's different, right? If you're seeing a list of parts and they're all musculoskeletal, to throw in a non-musculoskeletal part seems like weird to be on the list. But as we understand more and as we can see the trajectory of a sedentary culture to add the brain and the mind in mm-hmm. as parts that are absolutely maintained through movement, mm-hmm. right? These are parts that are maintained through movement. They have these essential baselines that they're not getting. And so I did separate the mind from the brain. I went with just like cognitive function because there's a lot of work being done in dementia and Alzheimer's. And I mean, movement is is the most protective thing that you can do right now for those processes, but it's not necessarily clear why. Mm-hmm. Again, same with physical movement. And so I was talking about you know maintaining hippocampus volume, which is a part of your brain through moving regularly. And then also... The mind part is in there for a couple of reasons. One, just for mental well-being and mm. how this isn't a book. It's not a psychology book. I do have, we're working on that next project of like how to deal with the barriers that come up, the psychological barriers that come up to moving or creating movement habits when you feel mm-hmm. overwhelmed, like what to do about it. But in general, there's just these one breaking like breaking out of the mold of exercise as the way you have to get movement i think is really helpful and there's just mm. a list of like here's simple ways you can do like one minute like things that just help you change your position it's really to deal help you deal with the inertia of not doing and then i just really included my story mm-hmm. because i was not always a really active movement rich life kind of person i i grew into that mm-hmm. and i just outlined how much my mind transition at the beginning was what allowed that physical transition to flow Mm. from that. So that's why I put it in there. And I hope people love that chapter as much as I do. And it's the same thing that we've covered in other interviews about other books. This moving more does not have to live in this very rigid exercise box. It can be joyful. It can be celebratory. It can be with others. It can be Mm. part of how you accomplish non-exercise or non-movement things in your life. If you wanted to get more things 
done that require a little bit of physicality, how to reframe them to be like, wow, this is not only meeting this need over here, but also my need to nourish myself with movement. How yeah. to recognize signs of movement hunger. We don't have language mm. for movement hunger. And I that's that's, right. that's a big reframe in yourself to recognize that you you're not necessarily fluent in your body's way of communicating with you. It's need to move. We call it other things, right? So, right. so that's a big Well, thing. and I would imagine that kids have a lot of movement hunger. They do. I mean, we probably all do, but sitting in a classroom or sitting at your desk trying to finish your homework, there probably is a lot of that. And that's the fidgeting and fidgeting and even it can be psychological. It could be the things that come across as mental, mm. mental reaction. And I think that's the big difference is if we looked at hunger, just straight up dietary hunger as a signal, sure, there's like the physical ways you feel the growling of your belly. I'm feeling extra low because I'm hungry, but also, you know, the signals of I've had too much coffee. I've had too much sugar. Right. You, you're mm. well agitated. You're irritated. Right, right. Or yeah, like, right. Hangry. Hangry is mm -hmm. a, a feeling of, it's not about physical in the sense of things that are connected to your mouth and your stomach or your energy level. It's irritation. Mm -hmm. It's perceiving other people as doing you wrong and all these things. And when you, yeah. when you get into that movement lens, you'll be like, oh, it's the same thing. So I talk about like, when everyone is irritating me, I have learned, it's taken a long time to learn that like, oh, this is the way my body lets me know I'm under moved. Go out, mm. take a walk. And I'm like, look, everyone's less irritating now, like magic. Wow. So you just have to learn for yourself. I mean, sometimes the signals are, I'm so lazy or, you know, like they're, they're self-talk mm -hmm. and we just haven't learned to decipher or translate these impulses that are coming through into looking at like the movement medicine or whatever that helps you deal with them. And then you can connect, oh, that's just a signal. That's just how I feel. Katie, that's fascinating. Because well, the mind, the mind brain thing is so interesting because you're talking about, look, your brain mass will be bigger. You'll have more brain mass if you move more, but also you, you had a story about some woman who basically, it was like, well, she would feel ugly yeah. and then she'd go on a walk and then she'd feel better about the way right. she looked. So there's two very different things going on there, both of which are very beneficial, just helping with your outlook, helping with how you're dealing with other people and at the same time growing the mass that's actually in your brain or, or maintaining it at least. Maintaining For it. sure, maintaining it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, maintaining it. And uh, we're just, we have very old software. I mean, I think it's just the, like our software is really old. The modern context is very fresh. It's mm -hmm. fast. It's fresh. And there's a, you know, sort of a mismatch between the two. So the signals are pretty rudimentary. You know, they're not, they're blunt, I guess is another, like mm -hmm. we've got these blunt signals. And so, yes, the, oh, I'm ugly. You know, like, it's just like, it's just these negative somewhere along the line that thought got put together with the movement habit. And then you can work to separate them for sure. There's work to separate those, but it's also just learning how to read yourself. Like, oh, I'm just feeling down about myself in general. Oh, I'm feeling malaise and low. And so going out and moving is mm. just a nice way to start seeing if movement hunger is affecting what's coming up for you in that way. I mean, that's really profound. Because the hangry is a word that has permeated society. So yes. we know, and then we know immediately, you, know, we, you go eat something and you feel better and your outlook is different. And so what if the same thing is true for movement, 
but we don't go there. You know, you feel malaise or you feel low, so you turn on a show or you scroll through your phone, and that is not fixing the problem. And just this thought of separating movement from how we look, I thought was such an important part. It's jumbled. Yes, it's so it's so jumbled, and they really have very little to do with each other at all. Mm -hmm. But I can see how we got there academically, scientifically, but now it's just all warped for people. And if you can just set down aesthetics for movement right now and develop a set of movement practices that are more about nourishing and just recognizing it's like a nutrient. It's a nutrient that you need mm. for basic care of parts. And also it's practical. It's how you get tasks done. It's how you get celebrations done. It's how you are able to connect. It's how you are able to, you know, build or create things, art. If you can see mm -hmm. it for its utility and have it have very little to do or not nothing to do with aesthetics, mm. then I think uptake will be easier, right? I think that your books, one of the reasons I love your books so much, well, first of all, because I always learn things I never have heard of before, <laughs> and I do love that. But I also love that they're very motivating. I think that you do such a great job of displaying all of the benefits. So then, you know, if you're feeling like ho-hum about moving, but then you read the stuff about mind and body, and then you also give really easy entry points. Like the thing about the floor was really interesting. It was like, lay down on the floor with your face down, stand back up. Lay down on the floor with your face up, stand back up. Do it five to 10 times. And this is gonna be a whole body workout for you. You could do that. I mean, I don't know if you'd wanna do it in a hotel, but you could do that anywhere. Put a sheet down. <laughs> right, you could do that on the grass. You could do it indoors, you could do it outdoors. And even in this section where you're talking about feeling frozen, and I think a lot of times we do feel that as well, we don't even know we should be moving or we feel frozen, what I'm gonna do. And you say, well, just clap. Yes. Give yourself a round of applause, clap, move, you just move your body. Yeah, it's inertia. So inertia mm. is the tendency to keep doing the thing that you're doing. And so when you feel frozen or overwhelmed, I mean, mm. I mean, I guess overwhelmed creates its own, there's a lot of different reasons we might freeze. And also there's a lot of information coming around about what to do, right? And then like, then you got this thing that works for you. And then you hear like, oh, don't do that. And you're like, ah, I'm trying to show if you can do something physical that's simple, it helps you change the course and changing the course is the hardest part. Once you've yeah. changed the course and you're doing the thing, it's now inertia is working for you, right? It's easier to mm -hmm. keep doing the thing that you're doing. So with movement, where there is much more of a physical component um, than changing your thoughts, you're going to have to start with a movement that feels uh, not overwhelming, feels doable. Mm -hmm. And that's why people have said, take a walk. But there's like, take a walk, like seemingly the easiest thing that you can do, you know, as long as you're physically able to walk. But what I have found is we're at a place of overwhelm and just so much of our environment is beckoning us to continue to sit and scroll that we needed just, okay, give me one part to move, one thing to move to help this mm -hmm. journey of becoming a mover, you know, becoming mm -hmm. someone who sees movement as an overlay yeah. to their life. And so I get a list of like really simple things. And I put it in the mental well-being section because the challenge is like, there's a, a spectrum of 
mental health issues. And not all of them are solved by movement at all. But that being said, the group that can often benefit from the movement most is also the group for which it is hardest to take it up. And that's always been the issue. So it's not just like, just do it. You'll feel better. Like we need to find a way to reduce the overwhelm. And so Rethink Your Position was like, let's go in by parts. Let's go in by small steps. And then once you're on that role, you'll continue to be Mm -hmm. on that role. And I want to say, you know, we interview a lot of people here and pretty much everyone has a social media, mostly. Pretty much everyone has a website. Yours is very valuable. So even at Christmas, you know, everyone's doing (laughs) Advent things and you're doing different movements each day. Try these different movements. You're always talking about the ways that you're challenging yourself. So you hit a certain age and you're going to walk X amount of miles Mm -hmm. to celebrate that birthday. You're going to do it with friends. It's very practical. And so I highly recommend your social media. It's Nutritious Movement on Instagram, Facebook, your website, Nutritious Movement. You even have a movement program that's new, correct? Yes. So like it's called Nutritious Movement Improvement, which is just 12 weeks where you just get an email that's got a 30-minute video and then a 15-minute video just once a week. And you're just, you just work on this one little thing and it's one section of your body. How to move this one section of my body better and you're in that space. And then the next week you move to a different body part. And then you learn just little things about movement and how to think about your chair as a, as a landscape for moving differently in or your home as a way. So every week has a different focus to transition you into someone who can start to see the way, learn the way your body moves, Mm -hmm. how to move it well, and then how to look at domains of your life as places that you can pepper uh, movement in. Even you talk about when you walk through a door frame, like reach up and touch. Yes. So I found that your information that you put out, your content is so practical and so motivating always, always. So people can check that out, the Nutritious Movement Improvement and your social media. I mean, people probably already know who you are. You've been on here several times and everyone knows who you are, but your books have been translated into more than 16 languages. You've been everywhere. Joe Rogan, NPR, and here you are with us. So amazing. Seattle Times, Today Show, Good Housekeeping. So this is a hub. You created a hub with your books and your social media and your website and all this content that you put out to really help people in practical ways with what they're doing on a day-to-day basis. I've been thinking a little bit about, maybe a lot of it, about agility. And as I'm getting older, so here's an example. We went to this water park I guess it was basically like these big blow up things in a lake and then you would get up on them and run around and try and go through these obstacles is what it was. And I just felt very not agile. So my kids Mm -hmm. are running forward and I'm afraid I'm going to fall. And I just wondered like, well, how could I get that back? Yeah. How old are you? 42. So I'm 47. So there's this phase of like, I think, you know, you have young, you get, you have kids and then you start and you know, you'll soon be in the next phase. Like I'm in the next phase and you're, you're, you never really recognize it. I don't think until you're in the phase. So then there's like the perimenopausal phase or whatever the, you know, male equivalent is to that phase. Like this phase where there's a hormone shift and every body has a hormone shift. Mm -hmm. Um, They're just different shifts. And there's, you know, an increase in a loss of muscle mass your injuries take longer to heal. And so definitely starting to work on that phase now is helpful. So agility Mm. would be like like the simple definition of agility is the ability to rapidly change 
directions that you're moving. Hmm. You know, so kids are really good at like they're cutting and they're like, because they're like, they're green twigs essentially Hmm. and everything's fresh and you become a little bit more protective of your parts, especially when you don't have uh, a lot of muscle mass around those joints. It's harder to do things like becoming agile and, and strong too. It's not just agility, it's, it's strength. And it's also power jumping, you know, just being able to have a little bit of explosive or bounce to your movement. Mm-hmm. So playing around with that a little bit is definitely something that you want to put in your movement diet. You know, we talk a lot about movement diet. You can get it back. Mm-hmm. The challenge is to do it in a stepwise way that doesn't leave you injured along the mm-hmm. way. So, so yes, you can get it back. And I'm just trying to think of a couple of simple things you could do. Like for example, a jump rope. And I'm not talking like I injured myself jump roping too much. Right. Cause I was like, mm-hmm. I love jump rope. What a great idea. It's great for your bones and your joints, but there is a tipping point where it's too much. So right. the idea of just doing like 25 jumps mm-hmm. a day or twice a day where you're just getting a little bit of loading that would help you prepare for a little bit of explosiveness. Cause imagine if you're changing positions really quickly, what you're doing is you're asking parts of you that react fast, like fast twitch muscles to step in and stop you from going, Hmm. continuing in that direction. You want to have a little, even just hopping from side to side and thinking like, okay, I'm just going to jump to my right and jump to my left. So I can, first I'm going to do slow one foot to the other. Maybe you start with a step, you know, like you just have to think about Mm -hmm. how to break it down into something that's manageable for where your body is. So I could go on and on. Like I used to teach, like I love teaching. A lot of my graduate work was in gerontology, which is a word that other people don't love, but I love that word. It's just this particular phase of life and to create things that were a little bit more ballistic, but to scale. Mm. And I would work with people who are really frail. And one of the best things was balloon the balloon toss game you play with your kids when they're little. Mm-hmm. Do you remember that? Like, did you ever fill up a yes. balloon and you'd pop it and they like toddler would go running over to try to get it. I would do the same thing for frail older adults mm-hmm. because they had some time built in, but they could still work on catching and receiving and target and going someplace that's unexpected. And we would do it in a big mm. giant open room. So that's another thing is, ball, like being thrown a ball and catching it Mm. to have you have to figure out how to respond. Like these are all things that we want to maintain our ability Mm -hmm. to do. Yeah. Well, I was thinking about it. We went on a a whitewater rafting trip. I went with my oldest daughter in Utah. It was this five-day rafting trip down a river and you had to climb in and out of the raft. There was all sorts of stuff. You had to move over. And Mm -hmm. I asked what was the oldest age of a person who has gone on this trip and she said 91 was the oldest age, but needed a ton of help getting in and out. And you just really start to think about your quality of life. Mm-hmm. And I think, well, I want to be able to do these things as I get older. And so just interesting to think about. And then I was on that water park and thinking, I can't run after my kids. I'm afraid I'm going to fall. So is there, all this stuff about movement is so interesting. One of the things that you talk about consistently are like our breasts, our testicles. It's always in here. Good stuff to know. They're always in here. Testicles are everywhere in my work. Just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) And well, okay. So, well, let's start here though. You say menstruation is a movement. 
Yes. And you can use movement to help with painful periods. Yeah. I mean, again, it's just, it's one of those things where our understanding of movement is really gym focused, weight loss focused, cardiovascular fitness. Like it's really narrow. Biologically, mm-hmm. our bodies are used or they're built for a tremendous amount of movement. And I explain this most in Movie or DNA, which was an earlier book of mine, but it's sort of the flagship book, which is we don't really see that our bodies have never existed in a time where movement wouldn't be ubiquitous, Mm -hmm. like varied movement. Like this is a new place for a physical body to be. And there's, there's not a lot of redundant systems, right? Like the calf hearts are activated by stepping. Humans have been stepping for a million years. And so what happens when you stop stepping, all of a sudden, all these systems depended on that stepping. There's not time for this. Like, oh, you're not going to be stepping. I'll just grow an extra tube in my organ. Like, it's not like that. Yeah. And so we've got this old software in this modern world and the habits that come along with it. And so movement is really part of your physio, how your physiological system works. It's mm-hmm. part of how all of these body parts, like they depend on it. They depend on being fed through movement. And when you strip away the movement, you have issues that can arise in particular mm-hmm. places. And in this case, my other graduate focus was pelvic floor, issues of the pelvis, because mm-hmm. they're they're becoming more prevalent. They're prevalent already and they're growing. And there's a lot of uh, dysmenorrhea, discomfort about around menstruation. It's like, well, how are you nourishing this part of your body through movement? Like, how is it going into this thing called menstruation? Like, what's the state of the environment in which it's in? You know, I talk about blood flow to the area. And actually, I think it's an article that didn't, how your period works is an article that I didn't put in this book, but you can find on my website that talks about blood flow to these organs and how they're dependent on. Mm -hmm. I have been looking for simple ways to form healthy habits and get the nutrients my body needs when my immune system feels unsupported. And that's why I decided to give AG1 a try. Not only does AG1 deliver my daily dose of vitamins, minerals, pre and probiotics and more, but it's a powerful, healthy habit that's also powerfully simple. It's just one scoop mixed in water once a day, every day. And it makes me feel nourished and ready to face the day. As a parent, longevity is on my mind more than ever before. I want to make sure I'm taking really good care of myself so I can continue to show up for the moments that matter with my kids. Every day, AG1 helps me build long-term health with daily nutrients that support brain, gut, and immune health. All it takes is one scoop a day, and I'm setting myself up for the long run. AG1 is a supplement I trust to provide the support my body needs daily, and that's why I'm excited to welcome them as a new partner. If you want to take ownership of your health, it starts with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3K2 and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase exclusively at drinkag1.com slash 1000. That's drinkag1.com slash 1000. Check it out. When the skies open up, While others seek shelter, I embrace the rain. Heading to my favorite hike, the raindrops are like a soothing melody, and my vessies ensure each step is dry and comfortable, turning a simple outing into a rather delightful experience. 
Whenever my kids and I are stepping into a great outdoors adventure, I love wearing Vessi's Stormburst boots to capture the beauty of springtime landscapes. Their robust style is perfect for our nature excursions, adding a little dash of elegance to our outdoor explorations. This spring, transform how you view wet weather with Vessi. Their Dymatex technology makes their shoes not just waterproof, but a stylish barrier against rain and puddles. Whether it's a sudden downpour or a planned seaside walk, Vessi shoes ensure your feet stay dry and comfortable. Embrace the essence of spring with Vessi. From chic city walks to adventurous treks, find the perfect pair for your lifestyle at Vessi.com outside and enjoy an automatic 15% off your first order upon checkout. That's V-E-S-S-I dot com slash outside for 15% off your first order. And you said step aerobics was something that really helped. Is that correct? I did. No, I is that wrong? No, I didn't. I mean, step aerobics just helps your worldview as far as I'm concerned as the 1990s step aerobics instructor. So, okay. So you said movements of the lumbar spine and the hip joints are helping blood flow to the uterine arteries. Yeah. So just is that right? the articulation of your hip joints overall, like how flexible you are through the hips and how much you move that particular area, moving your sacrum and the lateral hips that we talked about before, all of these body parts are informing. I mean, I think of it as like the warmth or like the blood flow of that particular area. Yeah. So would step aerobics help? Or no, am I reading it right? Yes, I mean, yes. So maybe I, I guess in your mind, you're like, oh, then step aerobics. Yes. Because you're talking about, okay, so this is what I'm thinking about. So someone could exercise a lot. They could be a runner. They could be a walker. And they're exercising a lot. But they're not, what you're talking about is, yes. and you said it. You said, although I move my legs a lot, I wasn't actually moving all of my leg parts. Right. My hip joints didn't move much. And so then you have other exercises here that you talk about helped with the pelvis and then in turn probably helped with period pain. Yes. So this is an issue that I'm trying to break down in the book is you can be someone who gets a lot of movement. You can do step aerobics. You can be active in a lot of ways that involves your hip area. But if you came in and I put you through 10 different moves, chances are there would be a lot of tension around the hips, even though they're moving regularly, they're not moving mm -hmm. through a full range of motion. They get pretty stiff. And so like, I'm very active using my hips and legs and I am prone to cramps or other like dysmenorrhea type things. Yeah. Unless I do these particular stretches that deal with the tensions that have come about maybe even from my preferred sports, plus the fact that ah. like, like everyone else, I still have to sit, you know, like mm -hmm. I don't have to sit, but I, I work seated. You know, like I'm still, like I'm driving and I'm doing sorts of things that don't let my hips go through a fuller range of motion. So it's mm. about breaking down your hips into something more than just hip use. Yes or no. It's like, well, what's the internal and external rotation here? What's the degree of hip extension? Mm-hmm. So interesting. So I read that a little bit wrong. What you're saying is I'm moving my legs. I'm a runner. I'm a triathlete, a step aerobics instructor. And yet my hips are still tight in some instances. Correct. And that, okay, that makes a lot of sense. And so what you have in here, if people are interested, this is page 165. If people pick up the book, there's six or seven 
ideas of exercises in here that would help with the lumbar spine and the hip joints. So that's fascinating. Katie, what we're always running out of time here. Well, the testicles, you're talking about the cremaster? Cremaster, cream. I don't know how you say it. Cremaster, cremaster, tomato, tomato. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, that's interesting. People want to know about that. That's in there. Well, that's a thousand hours outside, right? If you have testicles and you get into really cold water and they move, what's moving them? It's the cremaster muscle, right? And the idea of the action of this muscle, which is really a temperature regulator Mm -hmm. or safety regulator, right? It's gets cold. It has to pull, you know, the precious vittel up towards the body to keep it warm. And when it gets really warm, too warm, it has to relax and let things go, right? There's a movement here that is trying to keep sperm essentially, you know, alive and in an optimal environment. And so there's all this movement, but it's one of those things, again, we sit, we don't do a lot of things that cause a lot of movement, you know, so Wow. And so that that movement could be underutilized. Sure. Right. If you're always in the same environment, always in the same temperature. So it's good. Get your kids in the cold water. You know, you get hot. And always in a warm environment. Always warm. Where it's not not only that muscle's not moving, but the environment of the sperm is sort of like it, they can't always escape heat. You know, so it's just it's just one more thing. Like I'm not trying to solve all the problems. I'm trying to show the overlay of movement and its importance across a life. Yes. Across a lifetime. And what that does is it motivates readers to move more and to just think about it more. And it really does. I mean, I think about sometimes I try and take away my pillow when I, I mean, all of these things that you talked about, then you try. We'll hit one more because we're we're at the end of our time here, but this is going to come out right at the start of the school year. And this is when everyone gets sick and it becomes a thing really for months. And the lymphatic system is such an important piece here. So can you talk about arm movements and the lymphatic system and how we can help our health heading into the fall when a lot of kids tend to get sick at school and things like that? Yeah. So I was, you know, back to school is just almost becomes back to sitting. Mm. You you at summertime and it just seems so active and people are out and then you go back to sitting. I mean, back to school. So Mm -hmm. if you can try to, before you go back to school, think of a few behaviors that you flushed out in the summer that you could work to maintain to keep bodies moving generally more. That's mm-hmm. going to help. So with the lymphatic system, the lymphatic system runs throughout your body and runs if everywhere you're, if you imagine a picture of like everywhere your arteries go, you know, if you've ever been to body worlds, the lymphatic system is right there alongside that system. So it's equally prolific and it's just mm. where you process anything that needs to be cleaned up, we'll say cleaned up through the body. And the lymph nodes, these important transit centers of mm-hmm. well-being or of just like disease prevention, immune system, whatever you want to call it. They are clustered at areas of the body that have the potential to move a lot because just like the calf hearts are part of the cardiovascular system, your skeletal movement is part of your immune system. Hmm. You moving your shoulders is part of how that uh lymph nodes are working under the armpit 
they're not passive riders in your body. They are co-workers with the muscles in your body. Same thing, hips are another one, right at the head, right? Any place that you've got joints that do a lot of movement and complex movements, you know, they rotate, they squish. So just imagine when you move your body, you're squishing and moving along what's processing in this area. So if you've ever had a pond in your yard or you've been to a park, or even if you just go out into nature and you see what still water, still water gets mucky. Yeah. It gets mucky. Yeah. Movement is part of the filtration system on the earth and inside you. So you want to keep those parts moving. So I'll yeah. just tell you some of the things that I do for my own family is prioritize movement before school. Mm-hmm. And I can tell you that this is not an easy thing to do. Like, I don't want to be like, just do that. It's amazing. It is amazing. And it's difficult, right? Because yeah. especially as you get into the winter months, mm-hmm. because you sort of get bogged down in staying up late and there's homework and there's, like, there's all these things. Life starts getting in the way of movement. So if you can prioritize a walk to school or a walk to the bus or something like that, where you don't just roll out of bed and get right to sitting, mm-hmm. um, that will start the process. And really how yeah. you begin moving is sort of how you set, it sets the tone for your day. Sure. We're actually toying with, and I, and it's all about, you know, the flexibility that you have, like we have a Y, a YMCA. So we're toying as a family of like, what if two days a week, we actually did this like early morning and I've, I have a, a sixth and seventh grader. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's going to be different with what you have. So they're sort of on the same page. What if we got up and we went to the Y before school? It would be like one day a week or two days a week where you're getting up at like six in the morning, mm-hmm. 5.30 in the morning. And we go and we just swim Mm -hmm. or we like do whatever, you know, and play basketball. It doesn't matter, but like, it's a special, we've talked before about special, like making things feel like special occasion out of the Mm -hmm. ordinary. That's the things that we remember most um, about our, our lives or look back on fondly, I guess I should Mm -hmm. say, and then go to school from there. You like, just try Mm -hmm. to create, flip it around a little bit where we couldn't possibly do that. How would we get breakfast? How would we get all these things done? It's like, well, just develop this, you know, you develop the system, you figure out we're going to have, I mean, I'll just say like, if you can be more flexible around certain things, like when I was dealing with like trying to get kids out the door and the kids don't, do all kids not want to eat in the morning? I got one kid that really wants to eat in the morning and one kid that would not want to eat until later. Sure. And I just was looking through this book about Hadza. Uh, Were they Hadza? It was a particular tribe that really subsists on very few things. And one of the primary foods for the, this tribe is just warm milk. And I was like, oh, I'm going to like make warm milk. And I put a little bit of ghee, you know, or, and some cinnamon on the top. And like, you went out with a glass of warm milk and that's not going to work for, you know, if you're vegan, that's not going to work for you. Mm -hmm. And if you need something else, but I, found that that just worked for us. It was great for the energy. It was like a little solution that allowed us to get more of these other things. So mm-hmm. figuring out how to step out of like the rigid boundaries about how things are supposed to look 
what mm -hmm. a complete breakfast has to look like every single day. Like developing some flexibility around that, at least yeah. some of the days, is going to be the ticket to you figuring out how to stay moving throughout the school year. Or you do it walking home. Yeah. Or you do it after school. Whatever. Yeah. You walk to the library, you you drive halfway there and walk the rest. We have homework walks, homework walks, after school homework walks where they do their homework on the move. We, let's do your spelling words. Let's memorize your play lines. Let's do math facts. Wow. We can do mental math. We can do all of it walking. So just, right? Like homework doesn't, it's the same mental flexibility. It's not like you have to be sitting down to do the thing. Mm -hmm. Katie, you are always fascinating. I'm always <laughs> learning so much. And you are always practical for families, for individuals. And I'm always coming away from reading with your books, interacting with you, more inspired to do these different things and to pay attention. So I appreciate it. The new book is Rethink Your Position, Reshape Your Exercise, Yoga, and Everyday Movement, One Part at a Time, available now. You talked about Move Your DNA, fabulous book. You talked about Grow Wild and all this. There's actually a bunch of other ones as well. People would be interested in, I mean, the titles are fantastic. You're talking about simple steps to foot pain relief. I mean, that's something that would be incredibly important. You're talking about movement matters. Don't just sit there, whole body barefoot. Alignment matters, dynamic aging, so lots of options there for people to interact with and they can find you at Nutritious Movement. Katie, it's been awesome. I can't wait for the next one. Thank you for having me. All right. Feel like you're the martyr in your family? You're not alone. Hey, this is Joanne. And Brie. And we're from the No Guilt Mom podcast. Brie, we talk to a lot of moms. Yeah, we sure do. And if you're a mom who has a to-do list that is so massive that you get overwhelmed and you shut down. Or if you fall into the habit of doing everything for everyone and don't know how to change it, we can help you become a No Guilt Mom. We're going to take you from family martyr to family model. That's role model so that you role model the behavior that you want to see out of your kids. You're going to go from being tired and overwhelmed to energized and guilt-free. Every week, you'll get actionable strategies that you can implement right away from the experts that we interview and from us. We also have a whole lot of fun. So check out the No Get Mom podcast everywhere you listen to your favorite shows.